I like to start out messages sometimes with a question. Uh, the question kind of opens up maybe our hearts and our minds, and the question is directly to you. And here is the question this morning. Do you enjoy God? And, and I want you to answer that in your own heart this morning. Did you come today? Was that was the motivation that when you woke up, got you out of bed, got your clothes on, and got you here this morning that you came with that expectation to enjoy God and his family. That, 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 that's why we should come. And if you're doing that this morning, amen. To know God or to enjoy God, you have to know him. You really have to know him. It's like we that have been married for a while. We pretty much know each other. And as we live with each other, as those years go by, we know what buttons to push to get what emotion. Anybody like that but me? Am I the only one in here? Any button pushers in this place this morning? Yeah, I, yeah you guys, they don't have the guts to raise your hand. I know that. I can raise mine because I do it. So anyhow, nonetheless, that's how we are. We know each other. We, get, we know how people's going to react. We know how our spouse or our children sometimes, we know what they're going to say, maybe what they're going to do next. To enjoy God, we have to know him. I'm going to be talking about this today, and Pastor Jeff's got a couple Sundays, and I'm going to go back and we're talking about God's names. I assume that we have assembled in this place this morning. I, my concept of church is God's family room. It's God's living room that we have come in to be family and to learn about him. You know, in most of our houses, we have living rooms that we spend a lot of time in. We as the family of God, this, this is that. Call it what you will, but it's the place where God's family meets for praise and worship of him to pay him honor and glory do his holy name. That is why we are here. And also to come and learn about God, how he can impact our lives if we let him, and how much he loves us and how much he wants us, his children, to understand and grasp his great mercy and grace. And for us not to take advantage of that. Oh, I, too often, I, I'm guilty. To assure us that he has a plan for our entire lives to give us a purpose and a hope, both now and forever. Yeah. I say this a lot, that, that when you come to Christ, when you give your heart to him, he has a storyboard for you. Your name's at the top. One column's God's plan. One column's your plan. Problem is, sometimes we fill in our plans side more than we do God's plan. He has a purpose and, 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 and a place for you in life and a hope. But you have to want it, and you have, you have to be the one to pursue that. God wants us to know how much he desires to be obeyed and loved and worshipped because our blessings from him are found in obedience. It's found in you and I enjoying our guard on our Lord and our Savior. The New Testament church, since its beginning in the book of Acts, has used various methods in teaching people about God. Before the Protestant Reformation, Christian catechesis, which means teaching, took the form of instruction and memorization. They memorized the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the basic knowledge of the sacraments. The word catechism for Emmanuel is for this instruction appeared in the late Middle Ages. In the use of question and answer, the format was popularized by Martin Luther in 1529 in his small catechism. He wanted the catechumen, which was the name that they used for scholar or student, to understand what he was learning. So the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creeds were broken up in small sections with the question, what does this mean following 
each person with the answer. The format calls upon two parties participating in this, a student, a scholar, a parent, and a child. The Westminster Shorter Catechism in 1647 is an example of this. As I understand this, every day, whether it was in class or whether it was at home, the question was asked every day over and over and over till the student had it imprinted in their mind and in their heart. And hopefully it's what helped motivate them with the power of the Holy Spirit. The first question was this. What is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Second question, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The answer, the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So it answers what we're supposed to be doing in life and how to do it. Does that describe your life? Is your chief end in life to glorify God? Is that your motivation? Is that, is that what drives you every day of your life? And how do you do that? Through the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures, the Old and New Testament. I hope that's part of your life. What is the chief end of man? A catechism teacher asked a young boy. The boy replied, the chief end of man is to glorify God and endure him forever. Of course, he meant enjoy, I think. And some students and parents, too, for that matter, believe that to glorify God, we must mean that we have to endure the religious consequences of such an occupation. Heaven forbid if you endure your hour here or how much time you spend in church, that you come out of a sense of guilt, that you come because your parents make you come. Heaven forbid if you, have, if you see that as an endurance. Man, I, I want you to see it as a joy. I, I want you to look forward to it. You know, I, I, I hate to say this, but if, if you come because you feel like you have to, are you really going to get anything out of it? It's like I joke with many, many of you. I said, you can sleep if you want. I'd just soon have you sleep in churches anywhere. Because maybe a few words will get in there, that subliminal stuff. But nonetheless, I, don't, I hope that's not true of you. I've heard a lot of kids say, you know, my... My parents made me come to church, and I didn't listen. I sat up in the balcony, and if I was with a girl, I'd try to smooch on her a little bit. I don't know if that happens here. You guys up there in the dark, I can't see you, but nonetheless. Hey, if you see somebody smooching, holler out at me so we can get a light on them or something. So, you know what I'm It's a sad state of events. I think the chief end of, end of, of many is not God. The God's not the priority. Because if it was, in some of our lives, we would we'd act a little different. And like Pastor Joe said on Wednesday night, we would know the Word of God if we studied it. Knowing and following and enjoying God is by far the greatest adventure known to man. Do you know why I say that? Because as you start down that path, he's going to take you completely out of your comfort zone. And a lot of times he's going to take you into a world that's totally foreign to you, regardless of what part on earth that is. And you never know what he's going to ask you to do, and you never know where he's going to ask you to go. That's an adventure to me. A lot of times we don't want to do it. We don't want to go there. Therein lies the adventure is when you step out of that comfort zone and step into God's world and start doing that stuff, and then it's, it becomes exciting. I, I hope that 
is the way it is with you. That when you open your eyes in the morning, man, Lord, what awaits me today? What, what adventure is there? What, what's, what circumstance will you, you have me come into? What person will you have me meet or talk to? The, and I think that's the way we should see life. But boy, sometimes it becomes too mundane. I think many, way too many people have interests other directions than Godward. For many, it, it's sports, it's football. I think the rapture's coming because the Cubs won the World Series, so get ready. <laughs> it might be football or other sports. For other, chief and, and from Monday to Friday is enduring those work hours till you can get to that part to Friday and you can party all weekend. Still others put all their energy into raising their kids and homemaking. For some, it's careers and status socially. Others, it's work, how much money they can make, how much stuff they can accumulate, on and on and on, and you know that. And those things aren't, in their end, or goals, bad things. But they should not be the chief end of our lives. They shouldn't be the chief aim. It shouldn't be the thing that drives us. The knowledge of God enables us to honor him, and the more we know him and the better we love him. The knowledge of God is an eternal thing of everlasting benefit. Jesus himself said this in John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. To know him is to live forever and to enjoy him. There are many ways we can study God in order that we might know him. When we get into the gospel accounts of the life of Christ, we see God in the flesh. Jesus was God in Galilean cloth. Hebrews 1.3 says the exact representation of his being. And how often do we think about God as a mystery? We can't figure him out. We don't know why he does what he does. But boy, we want to know him, and that's how you know him. God with skin on. Know about Jesus. Read about Jesus. Listen to his words. Follow his example. That's how we know the Father. Then we can come to know God as we see him through the lives of those that have accepted him. You know, we think about miracles today, and we look around, and we see each other, and we can't believe we're in church or that person's in church, that, that God has, has created a miracle in their life. But the downside of that sometimes is when we learn about the creature from his creation, or from, we learn about his creation or his creatures, that they both are spoiled by sin and give us a less than perfect picture. That's why I say over and over and over and over again, do not put me on a pedestal. I'll fall off that. I'll fail you. I'll let you down. You put Jesus Christ there because he's always there, and he will never fail you. He'll never let you down. That's, you, you know, as pastors and leaders, we want respect and whatever, but we have to earn that and, and to be loved and listened to. But Boy, oh boy, do not ever put all your faith in Christ based on me. That's, that's wrong, actually. And that's, I know we get attached to people sometimes. I, I don't want to belabor that point, but I, I just want you to know that, to put Jesus on that pedestal. Because I could be gone tomorrow. You know, God take me home or Diane take me to the vet to get spayed. I don't know how that works, but nonetheless. <laughs> well, that's scary. I can't believe I didn't hear that the first service. Wow. We're talking, some, we're talking some wild stuff there on that deal. We can study the written word of God that reveals God as we should, or we can study his names. The Hebrews laid great store by names. 
They believed names showed character. Therefore, the names of God became a medium of revelation for the Hebrew people. And Jesus Christ said himself in John 17, 6, this great prayer that he prayed for us. Do you, you want to hear Jesus' prayer for you? You read John 17 today. Verse 6 says, I have told these men about you. They were in the world, but then you gave them to me. And then again in verse 26, and I have revealed to them, and I will keep on revealing you. I will do this so that your love for me may be in them and I in them. No name can adequately express God's fullness. Second king of Israel was called David, for example. He could have also been called shepherd, giant killer, warrior, king, prophet, poet, or musician. If so many names can be used to describe a man, just think about how many names can be used to glorify God. This first name we'll look out is Elohim. It's the Hebrew word for God, and it's found 2,000 times in the Old Testament. It's the only name of God found in Genesis 1. It's in this first chapter that the Bible that we are introduced to the mystery of the divine substance, the mystery of the Trinity, actually. That's, that's what this name is referring to. El, one of the most used terms for deity known to human race, is a plural noun, and the name given in Scripture most often describes the Trinity is Elohim. Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In other places, a singular noun is moved, and then, and, and then a plural, like in Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send? And then God says, and whom will go for us? Even though the mystery remains to us as a trinity, we try to understand it, that God is three in one. And that's, that's, that's what we believe here. As we see the trinity in action through the Bible, we learn that there is a unity between the members of the Godhead. There is a divine harmony of purpose and operation in creation. In Genesis 1, it is God Elohim who speaks the words that sends the stars into the sky, that the earth is spinning, that the mountain's quaking, and the birds are singing. But don't forget, in all of that, it says that the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters, helping to make it happen. John 1, 1 through 3, the Apostle John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made about without nothing. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And the Trinity seems to be at work in the incarnation as well. Gabriel, sent from the throne room of heaven into the home of Mary to impart the Christ into her womb. When Jesus, we see the, the, the most member, or the members of the Godhead most clearly when, at his baptiz baptism, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit in the symbol of a dove, and then that voice out of heaven says, You are my son, whom I love with who." With you, I am well pleased, Luke 3.20. And I thought this was interesting in this study. Elohim is derived from the verb Allah, which means to swear and describe one who stands in the promised covenant relationship with God. That God is making this covenant with mankind, and he will never break it. He never reneges on his promise, ever. We sometimes renege in card games. And I know a woman has, who's reneged nigged on numerous occasions, but I'm not going to mention her name this morning. But God won't do that. He does not. His promises are true. So what God has sworn to do, what's he sworn to be faithful in his promise to be faithful to, to whom? First to himself and then, then to us. John 17, 5 and 24. Before Christ came to earth, he was 
part of the Godhead in heaven, shared that love together, and he speaks about that here. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. St. Augustine said, and I quote, If God is love, then in God there must be a lover, a beloved, and a spirit of love, for there can be no love without a lover and a beloved. The relationship in God in and with himself is one which there can be no breach. From the beginning, God is Elohim in covenant union with himself. When we try to grasp the Trinity, I, I like this analogy that the Trinity is like an egg. It's white, it's yolk, and it's shell. Three parts, one whole. It's like water. It can be liquid, it can be steam, it can be ice. One whole. It's water. Father, Son, Spirit, Elohim, God Almighty. Father is a lover. The Son is a beloved, and His Spirit is the Spirit of love, all bestowed upon us as fortunate humans. By an omnipotent, all-powerful God, by an omnipresent, always near God, He is everywhere at once, by an omniscient, all-knowing God, His ultimate wisdom. Do you know Him? That's my question. Not about him. Even the demons in hell know about him. Are you enjoying him 24-7? And I pray that you are. Secondly, God has sworn to be faithful to his creation. And other ideas that come from his name are sovereign, creator, and omnipotent. God left this earth in our hands. You know, you always try to picture things in your mind and those of you that's been around the world in different places, there are certain smells and aura about different places. Whether you're on the beach in Hawaii, it doesn't matter. But, but can you imagine, can we wrap our minds around a pristine creation like the Garden of Eden and what, the, what it smelled like? Perfect in all of its ways. Zero pollution. Man hadn't got his hands on it yet. And this is the creation that God thrust mankind in, but, but you and I know along with Satan's help, and we can't blame him, all of it. We've messed that up. We have to be honest about it and understand it. So what's our hope from God? God is a rescuer. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. So in Revelation 21, 1 and 2, here's our hope for this world. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. A restored earth, a redeemed earth, all because of Jesus. Genesis reveals a God who can, can't rest until his fallen creation is restored and recreated. God's promise to Noah. We hear Elohim promising never to destroy his creation by what? By flood again, and that's what the rainbow's about. The third and last comforting truth is that our Heavenly Father wants us to know about himself, that he is committed to us, that he is committed to his creation. The theme of the Old Testament is covenant. God looked up and saw that rainbow. And he had this opportunity to start over. And isn't, isn't that how it's been for most of us? We messed our life up and we were living in sin 
And God got our attention through the power of the Holy Spirit and says, Hey, your past is gone. I forgot it. I'm going to give you a new life. Live it. Live the new life like you're supposed to be living. Noah, you, you, you think about these biblical characters and we, we, we try to, to, to grasp what they went through. And it took him 120 years to build a, a boat that had never rained before. So people ridiculed him, and I'm sure he was the butt of tons of jokes. But you know what? When God put him in there and they nailed that door shut with those animals and his family, and it started to rain, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and the water came up and made it buoyant, and the people, when the water was up to their chin, were beaten on the side of that boat trying to get in. No can do. You made your choice. Now you're going to drown. So Noah... His time on the water, I'm sure that he had those cries in his ears. And don't you imagine how blessed he felt that it was him and his family. Now, that's the way we are with our families. We have a chance to get out of something where doom, impending doom is coming. Probably the first one we're going to get in is our family. That's who we take care of. That's who we get jobs for. That's who we look out for. It's a natural thing. But at the end of that time, and waters receded, and he sat down and we see a different Noah. What amazes us, we see him in 921 in a drunken stupor in his tent. Man's heart of sin seems to be incapable of loving God and glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And that didn't, that didn't stop because we read on in the scripture story after story after story of people making their own gods. They didn't want God Almighty. They wanted to make their own God with sticks and stones and rocks, and they worshiped the heavens and astrology, and I can go on and on and on. But God, he could have wiped man off the face of the earth, but what did he do? He promised to restore us. Can you and I imagine this morning if we got what we deserve from God for our obedience, for our sin? But God didn't do that. To distinguish the God of Israel as supreme from others of the class of Elohim, certain appellations were added to his name. El Elyon designates the God of Israel as the highest among the Elohim, far above any other gods. It was the heathen king Nebuchadnezzar who came to recognize God as El Elyon after God made him live like an animal with his, his nails growing, crawled on all fours, hair and beard, and ate grass like a cow. He went nuts. God took that, made him do that, to experience that. Well, I'll guarantee you he got his attention. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And how often do we say that to God? Cancer comes to our house. We have a car accident, on and on and on. And that is our first response. God, what have you done? It's your fault. No, we need to be on our knees. Lord, I believe in you. And regardless of what happens, 
I'm going to trust you. Regardless, you, you take my kids, you do this, you do that. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to keep on doing it. That is the faith that needs to be implanted in our hearts because we don't know what's ahead of us. We, do, we don't know that. Another revelation of God's character is hidden in the name El Olam, an everlasting God. He is the God of the ages. Another name is El Royai, meaning the God who sees. Hagar discovered he was the living God who sees our plight in Genesis 16, 13. She came to believe that God is a God of his word, that he doesn't stand in the shadows, that he is involved in our day-to-day life. In El Shaddai, translated by the English word God Almighty, explains to us that God, who is the God of nature, has the power to change and compel that nature, such as childbirth with Elizabeth, or not Elizabeth, but Sarah and Abraham that had a child at age 99. So my point is this, is this particular aspect of God should have a tender place in our hearts. And we think for a moment, if indeed he is the God who is enough, then I do not need more than Elohim who answers all my needs. He will nourish and satisfy me whether I have a wife to love me or hold me or not. Whether I have children or grandkids that love me or health to sustain me. In my past and in my present and in my future, I know El Shaddai will be all that I need as the occasion arises, whatever that means. How can I be sure? Because... His name reveals his person, and I have come to know him and honor him and enjoy him. And he has promised me that I will do that forever because I am his child. Are you his child? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt? We talked about this tragedy of this young girl being killed in an accident. You leave this place today and you're killed, do you know 100% you're going to heaven? That's huge. It, it ought to be something that rolls right off our minds and our tongues. Yeah, I, I am. Have you come to know God? I mean, really know him in a person, personal and intimate way. Do you honor him with your life? Do you honor him with your time and your talents and your treasure? Are you enjoying him 24-7 in your life? Are you in his word daily? Remember that first question. I want you to stand with me, if you would. I want you to do this this morning. I will ask the question, and then in unison, together, out loud, I want you to say the answer. What is the chief end of man? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Lord, may this take root in us. And even though some of us have been following you a long time, we maybe not got to answer that first question right. And definitely not the second. We might have got the first one, and we're not real, we're a little fuzzy on the second one. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we pause in this moment, that you, you put those deep within us, that we understand that, why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing and how to live. So, Father, again, I thank you for this morning, and 
all the needs here, if people need to be prayed with, that they might come. If they need you, they might come. If they need to deal with you right where they sit, Lord, that they might do that. But Holy Spirit, just help us right now to be obedient. For we ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.